Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. And we pray your anointing on Laurie now as she delivers that word. Amen. Amen. Um, Welcome everyone and welcome online as well. It's such a privilege this morning just to be able to speak about prayer um, and just want to say how marvellous is it that we get to speak to the living God, that we get to hear what he's saying. And that's the wonderful thing called prayer. It's not a set of techniques. It's pouring out our hearts to him presenting our requests to him, casting our cares on him. And prayer is the opportunity just to receive the peace of God and experience the warmth of his heart. And it's where our relationship with him grows. It's where we learn what it means to follow him, where we learn how to follow him. It's where we can be at our most vulnerable. It's where we can admit our mistakes and it's where we receive forgiveness and cleansing. And it's where we receive strength to go on. All this is prayer and prayer is where we cry out for those that we know and love. And we learn to cry out for those we don't know but we know of where we even learn to cry out for those who hate us because we learn in prayer that that is what God wants us to do and that is a way to move forward. Prayer is where we receive guidance and where we receive hope. It's where we receive freedom and rest. And prayer is where God sings his love song over us. In prayer, we co-labor with God to see his kingdom come. And with him, we can actually influence history. Through prayer, we have access to a supernatural world, to miracles. And I just thought, as we're speaking on prayer, I'd just share one example of a miracle that I've actually seen with my own eyes. And those of you that know me will have heard this before, um, but it is an amazing story and I'm going to share it again. Um, 20 years ago this year, I had the opportunity in the summer just to go out to Mozambique, which at the time was a very poor country, not long out of civil war. And I went to a children's centre in Maputo, which is the capital of Mozambique. Um, And it's a children's centre where children were rescued and they're given food and they're given um, education, they're given housing, um, and they're just looked after. Uh, An amazing place. And one day when I was there, a call came through to that centre. And one of the things that the centre had been praying for was the opportunity to move into working in the prisons locally. And they hadn't been able to do that. But on this particular day, a call came from uh, the, the prison in Maputo. And the prison had 
just received 13 young boys who had been arrested and put there for stealing. Now, if you were in prison at that time, and I don't know what it's like now, but at that time, if you were in prison in Mozambique, you were in prison and you received water. You didn't receive anything else not anything else. So the reason for this call to the centre was that they were being asked, could the centre bring some food for these young boys? So, of course, they they took some food and we took a few of the um, young people that were in the centre and we took two massive pots of um, stew that they were being fed that day. Enough for the 13 boys. When we got there, you could smell the prison you could, it was a very dark place. When we got there, the smell of the food in the prison suddenly brought all these people out, all these men. There were all sorts of people there um, in this prison. And we had hands thrust towards us, just a hand, a plas- plastic bags, any container that might contain some food was thrust out towards us. And the young boys that we took with us um, started doling out from these two big pans that we had, the food that, um, that we'd taken with us. Now, I was getting very twitchy at this point because we hadn't even got to where the 13 boys were and we were just doling out this food. And they kept doling out this food and they kept doling out this food. And that food did not go down. That food just kept going. And we went round the whole prison and we fed the people in the prison and we got to the 13 boys and we fed them. And it wasn't until everybody in that prison was fed that suddenly the food was gone. I can't tell you what happened. It just didn't go down. It just was there all the time. And that day was a start for that um, ministry into those prisons there. So that was really exciting just to have that opportunity to have been there at the beginning. Um, We all love to hear those stories of answered miraculous prayer. And we're running the Alpha course presently, and next week will be the session on why and how do I pray. And featured in that session is a story that no matter how many times I watch it, because we watch a film with this in, it brings tears to my eyes. It's the 2010 rescue of the Chilean miners, and some of you may well, I'm sure, remember it, because there were um, all these men, they were trapped underground when a section of the mine just collapsed on top of them in northern Chile. And for 17 days, there were rescue attempts, and they didn't know if, if these men were alive. And the men, they just knew that they had enough food for three days and a little drinking water. And if they were still alive, they faced the prospect of an agonizing death through starvation. Now, Jose Enriquez was one of the miners there, but he was also a pastor. And he was interviewed at HTB and told how they prayed to God for a miracle, and how he led all those miners every day in prayer. And he described the moment when after 17 days, just as the food was running out, a drill broke through into the tunnel where the men were trapped. And they hammered that drill with iron rods, and they sprayed paint on it, and they sent up many messages on it. And only one message stayed on that drill and as it went back up to the surface. And the message read, we're fine, the 33 in the shelter. 
And in total, the men survived a record 69 days underground before they were brought to the surface. Now, more than a billion people watched that rescue live on television. I remember doing it myself. And more than a billion people saw a miraculous response to specific prayer to Jesus. Everyone loves those stories of unanswered, of, sorry, answered prayer. Uh, they're inspirational. They're encouraging. And they reassure us. It's wonderful to hear such stories. And those of us who have decided to follow Jesus and put our lives in his hands know, not just in our heads, but also through our experience, that God answers prayer. And Jesus makes it very clear that we're called to pray. In Matthew 6, it says, But when you pray... Go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And Jesus follows this up by giving us instructions as to how to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray and goes on to give us the template of the Lord's Prayer, which we all still use now. But prayer is not just a spiritual discipline. It's a way of life for believers. We believe in a God who hears and responds. But for each one of us who sets out on this journey, for each one of us who becomes familiar with the faith-building, reassuring, inspiring experience that prayer is, at some point we'll also experience something else disappointment. We prayed for a situation and wondered why we've heard and seen nothing in response to that. The relationship that didn't happen. The relationship that ended in spite of all our best efforts. The diagnosis of sickness. The ongoing illness. The loss of a loved one. The job that you were sure was yours and didn't get. The promotion prayed for but went to somebody else. The child who never came. The child who went their own way. The house believed for but gone. And we all have our own story. When you're disappointed, when your prayers haven't been answered as you think they should have been, you question whether God has heard you and whether he loves you. If he is all-powerful, how has this been allowed to happen? If we allow disappointment to take hold, we might stop praying or we stop praying in faith. Some might abandon God because he didn't come through for them and some walk away. To pray... It's to risk trusting someone who might let us down as we see it. To pray is to get our hopes up. To pray is to risk believing. Yet if we stop praying because we've been disappointed, we will rob ourselves of the opportunity to grow and the opportunity to hear God at an even deeper level than we've ever heard before. So if you feel disappointed 
that you have prayed and nothing seems to have happened, if you are disappointed in prayer, if you have stopped praying for something because you feel, what's the point? If you have stopped praying, then I have something to say to you this morning. Because for every person who has ever found themselves in this place of disappointment, the place that seems like a valley or even a pit, or for any person who is presently still stuck there in that place, I want to give you a map through this valley of disappointment. Because although this valley can be one of the darkest that we walk through, it can also be a platform for extraordinary growth. It can be a route for deep trust to be developed, a way of forming unshakable faith that straight through into a spacious place. I'm going to give you a map through, but I'm going to qualify it by saying these steps are definitely not exhaustive and some might have other suggestions, but all these steps will help. So firstly, in Psalm 23, it says, verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so the starting point of tackling the disappointment we feel is to remember that whatever situation we're in, Jesus, our great shepherd, is with us. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He says, I'm with you always. And I wanted to share this word today. As I would say, my prayer life has been shaped passing through this valley of disappointment. My experience in a nutshell, my first marriage had come to an end. I'd lost my husband, the father of my children, and I'd lost my home. I'd lost the future I thought I'd had, and I'd lost the way of life that I had. Yet, leading up to that calamity, I had prayed. I had really prayed, and never had I thought that what was happening would happen. I was broken, but more than anything else, I was disappointed because I had prayed. And I just couldn't believe that my prayers had come to nothing. Disappointment, great, enormous, breathtaking, kick in the stomach, feeling of being forgotten by God, disappointment. I felt like I was in a pit and a pit that I couldn't scramble out of. But I knew the Lord was with me in my disappointment. I could throw my walk with Jesus all up in the air. But I knew that that would leave me in a place worse off. And almost defiantly, I said to the Lord, I wasn't going anywhere. In John 6, 66, we see that many of Jesus' followers got disheartened at this particular point, And they leave him. And it says from, from verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus said, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe in you and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So I was disheartened, but I was like Peter. Where else do I go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. And when people get disheartened and disappointed, that can be the point they leave. So I dug deeper and I was like a young child holding on to their father's feet. I clung on. And I did what Paul spoke of last week when he talked about Psalm 5 and morning prayer. And I cried out to the Lord. And I read the Bible and I asked the Holy Spirit to speak to me through it. And treasure, I will call it treasure, it was treasure came when a friend said to me, pray the Psalms. I'd never done that before. Um, I'd obviously read the Psalms, but I wasn't really that familiar with them up to that point. But they became my source of prayer. They amazingly articulate what we're feeling when we're in that place. The disappointment, the fear, the sorrow in the heart. When you don't know how to pray or what to pray, pray the Psalms. I tried to take one every day and pray it. In David's great laments, my disappointed heart found great encouragement. In those Psalms, I found prayers that told the Lord just how I felt. And they built my faith and they strengthened my heart and encouraged me when I felt weary to carry on. So another step, read the Bible. Now, the Bible is full of stories of people who have been through this sort of situation. Uh, Joseph, Job, for example, seemingly don't have their prayers answered in their time. So let's look at one person. I'm going to look at Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was an Israelite priest who lived and worked in Jerusalem during the final decades of the kingdom of the southern Judah. He was called as a prophet to warn Israel of the severe consequences of breaking their covenant with God. Jeremiah was faithful, yet he still ended up going into exile to Babylon. And as he sees the destruction and the suffering around him, he writes five poems to record his lament. And in the third chapter of this book of Lamentations, he writes, He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my path crooked. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. My splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Written more than 2,600 years ago, we're not alone in these thoughts. I'm sure if ever you've been in this place, you can identify with something written there. He carries on. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So much here where you can identify with the disappointment that this faithful servant of the Lord feels. But in typical word of God fashion, the yet breaks through to redirect our spirit back to hope. As I read and identified with the first part of the passage, I was led to the hope in the second part. Remember the Lord's great love. Recall to mind the experiences you knew when he was with you, the warmth of his presence, times of knowing his great love, his faithfulness. No one can take the experiences that you've had in the Lord away. So as we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we're never left in that place of disappointment. So read the scriptures. I also had people around me who would pray for me and encourage me, hold me up when I couldn't stand anymore. People who knew they couldn't carry the situation, but they could carry me. So don't isolate yourself if you find yourself in that place. Be vulnerable with friends. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was at his most vulnerable we see that he surrounded himself with friends. Jesus is our model. So get others to pray with you, and that's another step. And wait. Prayer involves waiting, and we need to learn this because God's timing is not always our timing. There are many promises in the Bible associated with waiting. But in the waiting, pour out your hearts to him, Tell him how you feel. Be real with him. And now in being real, we want out. We want out of the pit. And sometimes God takes us out. Sometimes the situation turns around, but sometimes it doesn't. As Christians, we have a theology of suffering, of going through trials, but all the time knowing that God is with us. And not only is he with us, but he understands our suffering because he too has suffered. In the Garden of Gethsemane, an anguish Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. And he asked for that cup of suffering to be taken away from him, but the cup was not taken away from him. In his last 24 hours, Jesus experienced unanswered prayer. Now we know with hindsight why the prayer was unanswered. There was no other way to redeem mankind. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered as we would like and we remain in a difficult place. When I found myself going through the valley of disappointment, I was greatly strengthened by doing all the steps that I've given you. And they were like a scaffold supporting a weak building. But my greatest breakthrough and the step that provided the inner core to hold me up 
came through the following verse. And it's Isaiah 50, verse 10. And in the NIV, it says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. And the New Living Translation says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Now that verse speaks of somebody who is following after the Lord, who is doing all that they can, yet they are still in absolute darkness. It says without a ray of light. But it says, let that person trust in and rely on your God. And that's the point, to trust in and rely on your God. And for those of us who have found ourselves disappointed that we have prayed and we have followed the Lord and yet it all seems to have come to nothing, this verse is for you. For my final step to tackle that disappointment is trust. And you might say to yourself, that's all well and good saying to trust God, but in the middle of this situation, what am I actually trusting for? In this pit I find myself in, in this dark tunnel with no ray of light, what am I trusting? And through this verse, I saw that my trust wasn't to be in God answering my prayer. It wasn't to be in what I saw God doing around me. It was in the midst of the darkness that my trust was only to be in my God in God himself, in his very nature. And what is his nature? He is good. And that was my breakthrough. Breakthrough to what scripture describes is a spacious place. The situation hadn't changed, but I certainly had. It was like I went from a crippled position to an upright position. I went from weakness to strength, from disappointment to hope. God is good. He is always good. And that was where my trust was to lie. And I could pray in faith again. And for each one of us who sets off on that journey of prayer, here lies the invitation to go deeper even in the darkness, to be completely reliant on the nature and the character of God. Because God is good, and because he is good and always good, he will do good to you. He is with you, and he is good. Romans 8 says, God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And as you move to this stage of not trusting in whatever is going on around you, but in trusting God for who he is, you move out of whatever pit you're in onto the firm ground of his power, his peace, and his rest. You move even deeper into knowing that Jesus calls us to pray. He calls us to pray and not to give up. He calls us to knock and to keep knocking. He calls us to ask and to keep asking. When you're trusting in his goodness, when you know that you know that you know 
that he will work all things for good for those who love him. There is freedom. There is freedom from the quenching, stifling, belittling power of disappointment. And there is freedom to pray again. There is faith to pray again. And there is resilience and there is hope. So if my story today is your story, if you are or have been shackled by disappointment, if you have found your prayer life in any way diminished, God, who is good, who is faithful, who restores the years the locust has eaten, who hears every prayer you have ever prayed, is inviting you deeper in, and higher up. Could I ask the worship group to come back, please? And could I invite us all just to sit quietly for just a moment, and perhaps if that is you, I just would like to pray for you now. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you do a work that nobody else can ever do. And I thank you that you take hold of each one of us. You have purposes for each one of us. And I thank you that you are good. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch any hurting heart now. And I pray that you would help us to trust in your goodness. For we know that you are always good. Holy Spirit, would you come and touch us now, I pray. Lord, we look to you, our only hope. And thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.